G'day and welcome to the Fred Paul Show on ADH TV, coming at you again from London. Uh, I don't know if you, uh, you caught my show last week. If you haven't, I recommend you do. We reported live from the 100,000 strong march in Westminster uh, in support of, if you ask me, a terrorist state and uh, for the, um, this is the march I'm talking about, in support of a terrorist state and for the uh, uh, genocide of Jewish people. That's, that's my interpretation of what they were chanting for. And uh, if you watch the show, you might agree. We reported from the Cenotaph, actually, um, which was being protected by a, a few, uh, few lads from the suburbs, but they were terribly outnumbered and things did get, uh, get a little gnarly down there. So watch that show from last week. It left me and, and some of the viewers who've got back to me, left me feeling a little bit despaired, to be honest, because um, this was all happening in the shadow of the symbols of freedom and democracy, Big Ben and the British Houses of Parliament, the, uh, the institutions and freedom and philosophy that Britain exported to the world. And within sight of that, people were chanting for genocide. But the good news is, soon afterwards, I attended the uh, Alliance for Responsible Citizenship. And I gotta say, I came out of it feeling a whole lot more invigorated inspired and having met some of the most wonderful people in the world. Uh, one of whom is sitting right next to me now who organized the art conference or was one of the significant uh, people who did organize it. John Anderson, former prime minister of, a uh, former deputy prime minister of Australia. <laughs> giving me the, <laughs> the honorable John Anderson, and it's an honor to have you on the show. John, how are you? I'm very well, Fred. It's terrific to be with you. Yeah, and isn't it great to be in London? Uh, there, was a, there was a big Aussie contingent at the ARC conference, um, which most of the viewers will have already seen because there's been a lot of reporting about it back home. So what I want to, you know, to ask from you first, John, uh, it's been, what is it, three days since the conference ended. Did we change history? There was a really good feeling in the room at the end of it. Did we revive conservatism? Uh, a bit early to say that, but I think we, uh, we certainly uh, gave people great pause for thought. Uh, we certainly saw an enormous amount of encouragement of people right across the world who were worried about where we're headed and where we've got to, where we've headed, want to see a better, uh, a better way forward. Uh, and it may very well be the beginning of a restoration, if you like, of, uh, of centre-right politics. I, I hope it is, uh, because it has floundered in recent years. It has, yeah. Well, we're at a, uh, a civilizational moment. I um, believe that is true. There is a, um, there was a debrief after mm. the event. How did that go? Well, without breaking any confidences, uh, the organising committee met uh, for a full day to work through how it had gone, uh, lessons to be learnt, uh, the requests made, and the interesting thing was that we had already a lot of feedback, high quality data from people's um, reactions. Mm -hmm. It was the social stream, really, where people's, if you like, education level was most shot up. The staggering numbers on how badly many of our children are doing, how poor mental health is, the boy crisis, um, 
those uh, areas were a real shock to people. And then, of course, we had, uh, you know, in terms of solutions, models for hope, so to speak, the extraordinary Burble, oh, Catherine Burblesing talking about Michaela School at Wembley, a poor part of London, where, as she, she began her remarks by saying, I'm known as the strictest headmistress in England. Yeah. I've been to that school. I've sat in those classrooms. It's teacher-led. Yeah. The kids pay a lot of attention. They are incredibly engaged. And interestingly, I said to a staffer there, uh, this must be exhausting, this level of intensity of teaching. said, I thought it would be when I came here, but it's not because there's no disciplinary problems. <laughs> no disciplinary problems in a modern Western classroom. But well, these, are, these are the fundamentals of Western civilization that we have, we have forgotten. This is why ARC is necessary to revive these ideas that, you know, discipline... I, I, I'm going to get to Bishop Barron in a minute, but... Bishop Barron, we, we will talk about him again in a minute, but one of the main points that he made was that freedom and responsibility are one and the same thing. Yep. And so Catherine's, that reflects Catherine's message because you, at, you, you attend school, you have a responsibility to behave and be disciplined, and from that you do get freedom. You get the freedom of, that knowledge brings. She also made a very telling point, which was that she knows that we're all engaged in great debates about history, but this is a British school, and therefore the kids will know what British history actually is, so that when they go out and enter the history wars and the debate about who we are, where we came from, and whether we're good people or bad people and our culture's worth defending, they'll actually know their own story. Indeed, indeed. Let's cut to a clip now from one of the stars of the event. I, this, I felt very honoured to be seeing this guy live, Constantin Kisson. Uh, here's a clip from, uh, from his 15 minutes or so speech. Let's have a listen. And so I say to our friends in the world of business, you've made your fortunes by maximising your returns on your investments. We are in the fight of our lives. There is no greater return on your investment than to protect and preserve our civilization. So that was Constantin Kisson saying, we are in the fight of our lives. John, is that over-dramatising it? No, it's not. Mm. No, uh, and Constantin Kisson would know. Mm. He, his father, as I recall, was a Ukrainian Jew who moved to Russia, found his way into the Russian parliament during the few short years they had a democracy he's seen a society falling apart. Mm. He knows what it looks like. Uh, and he came uh, to England to study his parents or his father while he was in the, uh, the parliament, I don't know what it was called, in Moscow during that short period of democracy before Putin came in, uh, had enough resources to send him to an English school. He got a good education, became a comedian, mm. and then ceased being a comedian to some extent when he realised that in Britain today, if you say the wrong thing, you offend somebody. It's all right to say gas the Jews, you know. It's all right to, you yeah. know, to, to, you know, to turn a blind eye to the sheer butchery that happened uh, against Israelis, but apparently, you know, if somebody says something mildly offensive in a joke uh, in this country and somebody thinks somebody might be offended, the police will come knocking. So he turned to serious commentary and he's utterly brilliant at it. And he made that memorable And still line. funny. 
Oh, well, that was actually, I haven't seen him use that humour for a while because yeah. I know him a bit. Okay, yeah. Uh, and I was blown away. I mean, people should listen to it. It's running mad all around the world now. Mm. And that's mm. terrific. It deserves to. Everybody ought to listen. If you haven't heard it, mm. listen to it. Yeah. But he made that comment, you know, the barbarians, we thought they were at the gate, but no, they're not. They're in our midst. Well, let's he talk about that. He referred to that in the introductory remarks. Indeed. And we've seen it in Sydney and we've seen it in Australia. Yeah. Um, well, we've, we've attended three rallies in the past three weeks, two in Sydney and one in London. And they're all the same, um, from the river to the sea, yeah. Palestine will be free. And as you say, that really is genocide. Indeed. I hope people who are seeing that know what it means. Mm. Israel should be wiped from the face of the earth. Mm. You know, it's alarming that The, the, the so only democracy in the Middle East. Indeed. And people overlook things, like it had Arabs in its parliament, has Arabs in its parliament. Show me the other regime uh, across uh, the, the Middle East in all of those uh, theocratic regimes mm. that has Jews having their say in their parliaments or their places of power. That's right. Well, that, let's, let's talk about that because immigration is, I think, one of the key issues of our time. Mm. Um, we've, we've been living in the age of multiculturalism for a couple of decades now. And uh, I think it's headed to it's destined to fail. And even this weekend, it could wind up being quite dramatic. I mean, there is a call out in Britain at the moment for a million people to descend on London on Armistice Day this Sunday, uh, or the celebration of Armistice Day. And uh, the confrontation may well centre around the Cenotaph or somewhere in Westminster. Now. No, those million people are being called in, as I understand it, to protest Israeli uh, um, military actions in Gaza. Indeed. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So w was there a discussion at any time to make immigration or multiculturalism a topic at ARC? There were so many things we would have liked to have devoted more time to. As you know, the streams were our story. You know, mm -hmm. How do we place ourselves? What is our real history? Why does it matter? Um, uh, business and prosperity and free enterprise that's not crony capitalism, if I can put it that way, energy in the environment. Uh, and, um, oh, gee, I'm a bit weary after it. All. Oh, that's right. It's uh, probably um, <laughs> freedom and truth. And yeah, no, it was... Uh, um, uh, Oh, look, anyway, it'll come back yeah. in a moment. Yeah, but there yeah. are, I mean, you know, we couldn't spend a lot of time on geopolitics, although it came up. We didn't specifically mm -hmm. spend a lot of time on education, though that came up and it was pretty exhaustively worked through. You could argue that immigration policies were obliquely referred to. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's pretty clear that Constantine thinks that we should be very careful. Catherine yeah. Burblesing touched on it. She said, multiculturalism's all right as long as you first accept that you must respect and work with and support the culture of the place that you've chosen to live in. If you don't like it, if you're rejecting it, if you're opposed to it, well, you can't expect to be welcomed. As Douglas Murray's put it, you know, people have, who have no commitment to freedom and to respect for other human beings have come into our midst and are now spitting in our faces. They have every responsibility then to think about whether they ought to go away and find a regime of their own. It's a, uh, but it's a complex problem. I mean, this weekend, if, if I mean, I, I was at the march last weekend 
And there is no way that the, the sort of rudimentary presence of police could have controlled that crowd. Now they're expecting even more this weekend. So has this multiculturalism thing gone too far already? Are there too many barbarians in our midst? Uh, I, I don't think you could deny that there obviously are. I mean, that we have people in Australia who can boast uh, that there are tears flowing down their stream, their faces, before Israel had done anything. Remember that? Before Israel had gone into Gaza, mm. simply tears of joy because of Hamas's butchering yeah, of women and children. And I am, I've not been able to bring myself to watch any of the imagery, mm. but I talked to Douglas Murray yesterday who said he made himself sit through an hour of it. It is indescribable. Mm. And how the ABC's journalists can say, there's no evidence for this and what have you. I mean, yeah. what is the matter with us? Where have some of these people misplaced their moral compass? Well, that, that's the other thing about ARC, is we need to revive that moral compass. We need, I, I, the, one of the takeaways I got from ARC was that if we are to fight this culture war, and we must, then we need to establish a, some sort of framework for our side that is the equivalent of the fervour felt on the other side. Now, they wouldn't say that they are religious, but they are. I mean, they are, well, they are sympathising with Islam, which is a, a, a complete theocracy. But we need to develop a, a, a spiritual and philosophical framework that goes beyond the materialism that we have been sort of indulging in for the past 20 years. Not really, uh, it will really rediscover. Rediscover, yes. And I think it, it, I made this point in a conversation with Douglas Murray, which will go up shortly. I said, it, it strikes me that it's a really important point to note that those who oppose us aren't deeply motivated by their core beliefs. And the more people in those, and I'm thinking, frankly, the Communist Party in Beijing as well, where, whereas I understand it, all the senior people have been told to go and do a refresher course in Marx and Engels in case they missed anything the first time around <laughs> um, or have forgotten anything or yeah. have gone a bit soft on something. Mm. Uh, and then you see right across the Middle East, the way to get to power and to exercise it over others is to absolutely commit yourself to the core beliefs of your culture. In ours, if you absolutely commit yourself to the core fundamental beliefs and values of our culture, you get sidelined. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we saw vilified. that. Well, we saw it in yeah. Scotland with yeah. Kate Forbes, who everyone said will be the next first minister. And then she made some uh, remarks about her beliefs as a member of a Scottish church. And they said, "No, no, we don't want you as a leader. We want a Muslim instead." So you see, the, the, even if you're not too keen on the debate about what people believe, believe the only takeout you can take there is that in in the West today you're more likely to be rejected as a leader if you're committed to our core foundational beliefs and values. And we're up against people who are massively convicted of the value of their own underpinning beliefs and values. Well said. We need to yeah. think about this. Yeah. Well. And some of those, I've been looking at some of the commentary around this. And yeah, we, we did. Um, there, there was a strong sort of um, theme through some of the speakers about the importance of Christianity. And there are some who say, well, maybe we, 
ought to keep in mind that this is not a political movement, it's not a church, it's got a profound things to say to the people involved in politics and in public policy. That's absolutely true. We need to clarify our objectives uh, and all of that may be so, but I see some of the really flippant and trite comments that suggest that, um, you know, the old trope, for example, religion causes all wars. Hang on, have a look at the 20th century. Hatred is what causes wars, hatred. Yeah. And the great doctrine that is, lies at the heart of Christianity and its influence on our culture is the worth and dignity of all. Uh, second commandment, love your neighbour as yourself. We all love ourselves. Here's this radical idea that we actually ought to care about our neighbour. Whether we like them or not, not seen as relevant. If we're different or not, it's not seen as relevant. If they're a human being, we're supposed to love them as much as ourselves. Uh, and that, I think, is a very, very powerful thing. And that's what we well, want to do. And, and the and other piece of rubbish I see is, I saw it in the commentary in The Australian. Oh, all the major belief systems have this at their heart. No, they don't. Show me. Mm, that's right. Show it's me. unique to Christianity. This was what was unique about the West. And if we're going to reject that, we will not recover our ability to exercise the genius that's been at the heart of Western freedom which is that we live in harmony with one another to the greatest degree possible because we respect one another's different consciences and beliefs. Well, let's, let's elaborate not, on that. not what we're seeing out of the Communist Party in Beijing. No. It's not what we're seeing out of Hamas. And it is not what we're seeing out of the new identity politics in our culture. And it's Indeed. ripping us apart. Indeed. All right, well, let's talk about identity politics because there was a magnificent performance by Jacinta Nampajimpa Price which got a well-deserved standing ovation. Uh, let's have a listen to just one little grab from her speech. The way forward from here is no more separatism, is no more dividing us along the lines of race, is no more uh, political correctness, is no more identity politics. It's about recognising our capabilities as human beings, recognising that we all have agency, recognising that we don't need another to empower us. We can do that ourselves and we can do it very well. That is the way forward. That is the better story and certainly I feel very grateful that after our successful referendum result in our remarkable country of Australia. So that was Jacinta Price. John, what did you think of her performance? She is rapidly emerging as a leader. Here's a great irony of it. Uh, a leader who understands, in fact, that our culture has at its heart, if we just go back to it, uh, the very idea of unity. Mm -hmm. The very idea of, um, of, of loving a neighbour, of caring a neighbour, the golden rule, doing unto others as you would have them do, rather than dividing as a solution. And so she is actually seeing that it's our classical roots that are best equipped if we obey them and follow them in the spirit in which they should be understood. Um, 
rather than identity politics that can bring us together because of a genuine understanding of the worth and dignity of each. And the agency the of each. Rather idea that we play identity politics and set up power structures everywhere. So this yeah. was an overwhelming vote, really, in the end. It was, yeah. In Australia. Yeah. And again, I see somebody, some journal in Australia having a go because it was a false statement that I said 90% of Australia's media was against The Voice. Well, I can't prove it was exactly 90%. But anybody who doesn't think it was overwhelming mm. uh, is missing the point mm. and is not prepared to engage in the real debate. This was the Australian people saying, given an opportunity, no to division. You can't cut it any other way. You can't slice it and dice it. If you're so bright that you voted yes because you were highly intelligent and you had a few degrees and you lived in a wealthy suburb, it is not acceptable to say that, oh, they're all deplorables out there because they voted against it. It's not acceptable. I had long enough in public life to know that wisdom does not necessarily attach itself to your degrees or your wealth. Many of the wisest people I know left school after year 10, and I don't say that lightly, it's true. People who have been to the University of Life, people who have grown up in a, communities that work and know and understand real life, they exercise their wisdom. And the other point is, if you're committed to democracy, and this is a lesson, I think, for the bureaucracies. We saw in England after Brexit, there was a clear attempt to thwart the will of the people yep. and to go around it. Yep. You can see the same thing happening It's in happening now. Chris yeah. Minns is already yeah. advertising for a $300,000 um, job to, you know, occupy some voice-like uh, occupation. So, um, but the, the, the other aspect of Jacinta's message there was not only uh, is it, you know, democratic that we need to be equal, but equality gives you agency and responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, this is a great thing. I mean, Noel Pearson used to bang on about this all the time, you know, that, that it's patronising and it's uh, demeaning to give people sit-down money, uh, yeah. that uh, agency's important. And it's pathetic, really, to say that when you've got a wall of STD problems in children, I mean, STDs don't fly off the shelf. No, no. To say that oh, that's all because of frontier violence or the police. Actually, it's probably a lack of police enforcing mm. the law of land as it's yeah. partly responsible. Mm. But to deny people the respect, here you go, let me just try and make, see if I can explain this properly because a really important point. To say, no, young man, you're not responsible for the terrible thing you've done that's going to ruin this child's life because other people have done the wrong thing. That's very patronising. That's saying you're not capable of responsibility. You're not a full human being. You're somehow some poor, simple little soul. Come on. Mm. We have to face up. We will never be fully human when we don't face our responsibilities. Let's go to a grab now from your good self, John. Oh dear. You, uh, you mentioned at one point uh, that we, we see society in, a, in vertical terms, most mm. often see it in vertical terms, but it's far more important to see society in a horizontal way. Now, we often think of society in solely vertical terms, governments over citizens, citizens under government. I don't think it's a good way to think, but that's the way we often do it. I want to say to you, it's crucial that we think 
horizontally as well if we want to understand the conditions needed for social thriving. And the horizontal questions might include, how do we relate to one another as citizens? Do we see our fellow citizens as mere competitors for finite resources and status, and individuals whom we have rights claims against? For subsidiarity to work, we need a revival, not merely of civic rights, but I have to say to you too, of a re-engagement by citizens, a stepping up to look for our civic duties, to accept them, to be virtuous citizens. We need a movement of persons who show up. I touched on this on Sunday night. We're living in the age of disengagement. People are disengaged. I understand why many of them feel they're not wanted in the public square, but can I say to you, that's all the more reason why we are needed in the public square. John, in that little grab, I think you've pretty much nailed what ARC is all about. What, can you elaborate on it for me? Yeah, look, I think what I was trying to drive at uh, was a talk on subsidiarity. I had to, I had to practice pronouncing it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really about, uh, yeah, again, wisdom in the bush. You know, you've got to step up to your responsibilities. And as Jordan Peterson keeps saying, in fact, you won't find any satisfaction and purpose in life until you accept your responsibilities. But it really refers to um, subsidiarity means that you ought to do for yourself what you can do better than some other higher level right up to government. Mm -hmm. And you ought to do for your neighbours and your family and those around you what you can do best rather than shoving it up to the next level because they won't do it as well. They won't be as sympathetic. They won't do it in a timely way. They won't do it in a way that really respects you. You should only surrender to government those things which and you should surrender them, you know, at the point of a pen in a ballot box. You know, you shouldn't let governments take them. Well, you know, our rights belong to us. So we should only let such of them go as are necessary for the good ordering of our society and our safety. No more. No more. Um, and, and the idea here is that so often now, you know, we think wherever we are on the, on the sort of the vertical line and we look up the government and somehow we're almost inclined. We hate it. Mm -hmm. but we think it should solve all of our problems. Mm -hmm. Whereas in reality, we need to look horizontally and say, what can we do for ourselves and the, for those around us so that we don't need to look up there? We're working with those around us. Well, I, I thought that was a message to people who hadn't in, didn't, weren't lucky enough to attend the conference. I mean, this is a message for all ordinary people. Just get out there, as, as, you know, as John Stuart Mill would say, yeah. you know, just become a member of your community and make it better yourself. The really interesting thing to me is, um, you know, it was one of the more sort of slightly technical speeches and so forth, and I'm not big on those. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm better just riffing. But yeah. um, we put a, you know, put a fair bit of thought into the thing, and I'm really pleased that it's running surprisingly well on social media. Constantine Kissant, yeah, brilliant speech. He's everywhere. Yeah, the first panel. Uh, where Jordan Peterson talked to Oz Guinness and Ayaan Hersu oh, and me. Oh, that was brilliant, yeah. That one's running very strongly. Can I just interrupt you there and just recommend to all the viewers, if you're liking what John and I are talking about here, you must go to adh.tv. We've got a lot of the content up there on our website. Or if you can't find it there, go to the uh, Alliance for Responsible Citizenship or their YouTube channel and you can find it there. There's hours of of really stimulating, engaging and enlightening content. And, and funny. 
And funny, Constantin Kisson, you know, uh, Winston Marshall said that Constantin Kisson's speech was probably better than the one he did to the Oxford Union, I which, just, not mis if I'm not mistaken, has had 200 million hits on YouTube <laughs> or something. So uh, if, if it, it, it's up there with that, so I highly recommend it. I felt very, yeah, uh, very honoured to be in the crowd to watch it, but uh, it you won't lose anything watching it on a video. It was astounding. I've got to tell you one of the funniest ones. Warren Farrell is a man I have the utmost respect for, and he was talking about the boy crisis. Right. He was talking yeah. about, and look, again, this is something our culture keeps running away from. It keeps running away from. But all the evidence, it's overwhelming that kids, we can't always happen, we know that, do best if they've got some balance in their lives and in particular the way they play with dad's important. Mm. It's actually important, delayed gratification and so forth, those mm. things. A lot of those skills are learnt by horseplay with dad. Yep. On the other side, a lot of other things are learned from mum. But that brilliant picture where there's a dad who's thrown his little kid up in the oh, air, yeah. and the first picture is, you know, as dad sees it. Yeah. And the kid's just sort of, you know, he's just up above yeah. the arms. Yeah. As the kid sees it, the kid's sort of quite a bit higher. As mum sees it, he's way up in the sky. <laughs> and it made, that it, reminds it, it me packed of, the audience up. That reminds Have me of something that, that, that uh, Jordan said at a, in a podcast a couple of months ago, and that is, Mums love their children for who they are. They provide love and security for who they are. Dads love their children for who they can be. And that's the differing roles of mothers and fathers. And, you know, I mean, in this transhuman age where there are no differences between genders, um, that, you know, there are huge swathes of our society who think that, you know, you can live without a dad and you can live without a mum or whatever. But uh, one of the things that Warren Farrell said to me that I'd known for some time and I, I find it immensely disturbing and doesn't get enough prominence is that prisons are holding cells for fatherless men. That's right. We know that. All the yeah. researchers there. Yeah. And, he, and cop this one. In the years since I left school, which it's a few years now, I've got to say, but anyway, in the mid-70s, America's population has doubled but the prison population's gone up by around 750% and it's overwhelmingly young men. And people say, oh, it's a, black, a young black man's crisis. No, it's not. It's a young man's crisis. Yeah. And it's not, we've known for a long time what the basic cause of it is. This is the thing that I do want to say. It is time that we recognised, and this is what ARC was about, that we actually grapple with reality, that we actually engage in calm, reasoned debate that we actually recognise now we face major economic, social and strategic challenges as well as environmental challenges. Mm -hmm. And we are sweeping far too many of them under the carpet. I see it in the commentary. There are people who are simply, who say, we're doing very well, this is just a, you know, a bunch of old grey hair. Mind you, there are a lot of young people there. It wasn't an old man's conference at all, you saw uh, that. Actually, John, um, I've got but, to point out. But, he, but here's the point, yeah. facts are facts are facts. Mm. And if you are thinking that everything's going well at the moment, you are doing the next generation of young, vulnerable people who don't have a voice for themselves a massive, massive disservice, and you ought to be ashamed of yourself for not better understanding. I'd say that again. If you are an Australian listening to this and you think everything's going well, you, are, you should hang your head in shame if you don't understand how tough our children are doing it. Mental health you know, uh, loneliness, depression, anxiety, self-harm, and the answer is not. It is not, as how we so often hear, another government program. 
Well, speaking of government programs, let's get down to the nitty gritty. Constantin Kisson said this too, and he wasn't the only one. You, you're not going to get young people on side if they can't buy a yeah, house. It's true. as simple as that. This was one of the great drivers. Mm. One yeah. of the great drivers for ARC was the research showing that young people, again, here we are, young people. Now, I'm not going to completely excuse them. They go looking for answers in all the wrong places. Perhaps that's partly because of the education system. Mm -hmm. But it is true that it's got very difficult. And we do know from the research in the English-speaking countries particularly, the old pattern of perhaps you know, being left of centre when you're a university student, uh, as some wisecrack put it, if you're not a socialist at 18, you've got no heart. If you're still one at 30, you've got no head. Yeah. People normally re-centred in their lives as in their mid-20s to late-20s. They got a job, took on a mortgage, started a family. There is a real issue now with people feeling, young people feeling, and we need to listen carefully because there's some justification for it, that they, this thing's just not working for them. They can't get that break. Mm. Uh, and I do think... Uh, Which makes them vulnerable to all sorts of, you know, sort of false ideals and, you know, I mean, I, I, can't, I have to say that it is so closely related to the increase in the uh, idea that socialism's not, not such a bad thing. Yep. If you're never going to own a house, well, why would you bother mm. wanting to own anything, yeah. you know? And, you know, look, I could go on and on. I mean, I, I retired quietly to the farm and you know, had no intention of putting my head up in the public arena again. And after the great financial crisis, I, I looked at the play, government policies that were being put in place, and thought, this is gonna be a disaster. All this looking for inflation, I'm not claiming to be really clever, but you know, I had a, had a bit of time in public life and you know, at the centre of sort of economic reform. And I thought, this is gonna be a disaster. And the very thing that I was worried about played out. We ended up with inflation, but in the worst possible way. Asset price inflation that made people who had assets wealthier than ever, yeah. but made it harder than ever for people who don't have assets to get their foot on the bottom rung. And we made it worse with COVID economic policies. Mm -hmm. And now this is a tricky one I know. Young people want action on the environment, but some of the action that's being taken, this is why young people need to be really engaged yes. in this debate because they say they're worried about climate, but they're also worried about economic opportunity. Mm -hmm. And this is where their political masters are starting to make some terrible mistakes yeah. that will exacerbate probably environmental problems and certainly the economic ones. So we need a much more sophisticated and honest debate. And well, I was encouraged, you know, we had 150 young Australians there and a big chunk of them were young Australians and they were really buying in. I was so proud of the fact that they didn't wander off and party. They might have had some good times, yeah, yeah. but they were there yeah. for the high quality information that was available. And we've we learned a lot out of it as to how to, you know, what to present next time. I mean, I think we need to do more in education. We probably need to do a bit more on geopolitics. Um, but it's hard to know how in an intense three-day conference. We set the panels up, the speeches and the panels, to try and get maximum information out in short periods of time in a way that was digestible. Can I tell you, 
it's really hard work to find a good way to do it. But we did our best, and <laughs> it did seem to work pretty pro well. Produce some good research papers too. Oh, yeah. Are yeah. those available to the general yes, public? They so just be. go to the ARC website and you can get them. Yep. Yeah, they're also in hard. Excellent form. research, I've yep. got to say, John. A lot of them. Yeah. So, yeah. so we weren't except just for the, except for the one I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't yeah. all just a talk fest. There was no, no, some no, serious, no. serious research no, went no. into it. Now, this is a really important point. Can I say to our critics again? This blasé stuff, ah, oh, just a bunch of so-and-sos who met in London, you know, to reinforce and regret that they haven't got this or so. That is blindness that, again, is disgraceful. The level of intellect. Does anybody seriously believe you can dismiss what a Constantine Kissinger is saying, what a Warren Farrell is saying, what a, um, you know, um, a Neil Ferguson is saying? Indeed. Anyone? Yeah. Show yeah. me more yeah. powerful minds today. Yeah. Well, I recommend Niels. I recommend Niels. He was so full of research. Every sentence he uttered uh, in his speech, it was about a 15-minute speech, mm. everything was backed yep. by, by extensive yep. research. His wife, Ayanne Hirsiali, mm. the, coined the term um, emocracy. What did she mean? She said, we are turning our democracies into democracies where we don't think and we don't debate, we emote. It's the vibe. Yeah. If you don't see it this way, you're a Nathanderal or a dickhead or a... Where did the debate go? Mm. And that's what we were about. So my challenge to those who want to be, you know, armchair critics, just lazily say, oh dear, they were just a bunch of reactionaries. There was nothing reactionary there. And this is a very important point, by the way. Mm. Uh, one of the things that we did talk about in the wash-up was to say, look, we don't want to set ourselves up as people who are look as though we're harking to bring, to take us back to the past. Mm -hmm. Our objective is to say, what are the foundations of freedom and democracy and prosperity? Where are they rotten? Let us rebuild those so that Today's leaders can build the house on those foundations without risking falling it over. There's a big difference. It's not about bringing back a past set of leaders or economic or social policies. It's about restoring the foundations so people can put the house of their version of freedom and prosperity on it. Because we are not building a house of freedom and prosperity at the moment. Those, th those principles that you're talking about, are, they're more stimulating than, than people realise. I mean, we're Much talking more. about centuries of philosophical thought here. Yeah. I want to cut to Bishop Barron now because he was one of the highlights for me. Um, let's just listen to... He the... was a big surprise for a lot of people. Was he really? Yeah, well, yeah. I, well I've got to confess. I hadn't heard of him. Well, I hadn't heard of him either. <laughs> and what a great bloke. So, I mean, I, I highly recommend uh, viewers go and watch Bishop Barron's entire speech. I can only get a grab from the start because he really does develop his argument. And so, you know, if I, if I gra got a grab from anywhere past halfway through, you wouldn't understand what he was talking about. But he is very lucid, very articulate. Here's a grab from the start where he talks about one of his heroes, or two of his heroes, Martin Luther King and Bob Dylan. I felt right at home when I came in. There's Martin Luther King back there, one of my great heroes. But then someone pointed out to me another great hero of mine over here, Bob Dylan. Anyone that's followed my work knows that I've been relying on him for a long time. And that's a marvelous quote, and it's reminiscent of one of his songs where he says, freedom just around the corner from you, but with truth so far off, what good would it do? 
That sums up my talk on freedom and responsibility. Uh, I think, too, of another Bob Dylan line, um, you don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows. Uh, there's a lot of bad winds blowing around in our culture, and we shouldn't be listening to the strange weathermen who are trying to <laughs> interpret it for us. We know what some of these winds are doing, and we just heard it beautifully presented to our kids, what's happening to our culture. And a lot of it does indeed hinge upon the resolution of this problem of freedom, which is so important to us in the West. I know, it's the supreme value in many ways. But freedom has to be joined to truth, to responsibility. So this is a, it's a really important concept to understand, that, that, that freedom means you've got to be freedom for, free of the negatives. You can't be free if you're living in a police state. You can't be free uh, if uh, you don't, uh, you know, um, you're not afraid of the police knocking you up in the middle of the night and dragging you off to prison or the government's going to take your property or, or you're addicted or alienated or, 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 or you know, being eaten up by loneliness. So you gotta, those things will destroy freedom. But then when you have got freedom, what are you gonna do with it? Are you gonna build a responsible life? Are you gonna look for satisfaction? Are you gonna do what you should do? Or are you gonna say, I'll be an island and do it my own way. No rules for me, I will just do what I like. That immediately turns freedom into the enemy of freedom. Yeah, it's a because prison. License Mm. I will do what I like, inevitably means you start to crimp other people's freedoms. The analogy that he used throughout his speech, as you probably recall, was golf. Golf. And so, yeah. so he says, the more you learn about golf, the more you learn about the laws of golf and the rules of golf, ironically or paradoxically, the freer you become. It's yeah. a great analogy, isn't it? Yeah, he's saying, and it's right of any sport, really. Mm. You yeah. really understand the rules and the laws which have been built up over a very long period of time and reflect the wisdom of the ages, whether it's yeah. golf, whether it's rugby, whatever. The game will be much more enjoyable if you know what they are, you know what the rules are, and then you can go for it yeah. and yeah. enjoy it and know that you're not impacting on other people's ability to enjoy it as well. Let's now go to, there was a wonderful poet who did uh, three, um, three, delivered three poems, How Joshua does he Smith. Do that? Joshua Smith, he was brilliant. You can tell he's, you, you can tell Joshua has had a troubled life. Uh, he's obviously, you know, I, I don't know if he's spent time on the streets, but he's from the streets, clearly. He's got a, you know, a, a hip hop style of delivery. He's not entirely my cup of tea, John, but I'm, I'm including him in this show because just to, as an example of, of how diverse yeah. the, the, the lineup yeah. was, let's have a little listen mm. to Joshua Smith. He said, son, this is why we live in hell. We have given glory to the shadows upon a wall instead of the light source in which the glory dwells. He said, son, this is a story that we know well. Hundreds of years before Christ said, I am the light. Plato wrote the cave about a society that enslaves itself. I hear the art critics question if the Mona Lisa is smiling in her expression. I don't know the answer, but I'll give you my suggestion. I think she knows the greatest artists hide themselves in their creations. So she laments a generation that has lost its sense of the transcendent. So that was Joshua Smith. And what he was really referring to is the fact that we are just so addicted to two-dimensional Im two imagery. He made a reference to uh, Aristotle's theory of the cave, which most people are vaguely familiar with, but uh, we are now, we're not um, imprisoning ourselves in Aristotle's cave anymore, John. We are imprisoning ourselves 
on Instagram, aren't we? Yeah. I mean, he had a great message and it was a very sort of, you know, uh, egalitarian approach. What did you think of him? I, uh, I'm a bit of a philistine. I've never really not, I've never been able to really appreciate poetry. But I see, I could see what he was driving at and his words were very powerful. And I, yeah. I certainly recommend that people have a listen yeah. and absorb it because, yeah, yeah, he, he plainly understands the way in which modern culture, how can I put this? encourages and even facilitates people to imprison themselves mm. and doesn't offer a way out, which is why so many people are despairing today. Well, let's finish on what uh, Jordan Peterson said in his, final, uh, in his final delivery. I haven't got the clip of it, but I can recall it. It was a very uh, uh, Peterson-esque uh, delivery went for about half an hour or so and in it he talked about you know at the bottom rung of our responsibilities is uh, to set the table is what he taught his kids when they were small and somewhere at the top is uh, are the uh, are the values that we aspire to that we can't actually define and we and we never will because we live in a fallen world and uh, some things are beyond our grasp but the one phrase, John, that, that really got me was he, he referred to this, this uh, hierarchy of the cosmos from the most basic responsibility to something that we can't understand. And he said, John, those things are real. And that's what's missing. Like, you know, when, when we talk to leftists, they go, well, socialism is real, it just hasn't been done properly. Or, you know, responsibility, responsibility to the environment is real, or to the poor, or to the disabled. They have their tangible sort of moralities and values and, and systems. We seem to have discarded that slightly, and, and Jordan put it extremely well. Those things are real. That's what we need to get, that's the message, isn't it? Yeah, I think in many ways, one way of looking at it anyway might be to say that uh, every human being is of extraordinary value and extraordinary capacity. The human spirit is so much bigger in terms of potential uh, than we can ever imagine. Mm. And that's one of the reasons why we need to bring our history back, to teach the story of our heroes. Yep. People yeah. who have really displayed extraordinary courage, extraordinary commitment to others, extraordinary willingness to self-sacrifice. And, um, uh, you know, they inspire us. They lift us up. They help us through the grim times. They help us to see something bigger than ourselves. And we've turned ourselves into poor little things who look inward and pretend it can be our own God and we can find our own purpose in our own universe and our own right and wrong. And it is so limiting. It is. I meet people yeah. of enormous potential everywhere who have just chosen a route imposed on them perhaps by a society that's lost its way, where instead of being the big people they can be and should be and actually are if they could only see it, they're becoming smaller and smaller and smaller. Well, that's what ARC is. That's the process that ARC is hoping to reverse. And uh, having, having spent the three days there and met a lot of inspiring people and heard a lot of inspiring content. Final, final note on the name. Yes. The name says it all. Mm. Alliance of Responsible Citizens. What are we trying to say? We're actually trying to say we understand that citizens feel disengaged and they are disengaged. Now that's partly because too many people have given up a little bit too easily, but we need to also recognise 
we've created society where a society where the people with power, with the cultural heft, some people in England call them the establishment, they don't mean the old class system, they mean the bureaucrats and the experts, the expertocracy, others call them the elite. What they have actually conspired to do is to talk down to citizens in the middle, to patronise them, mm. to make them feel they don't know anything. And people out there feel that. Mm. And they say, well, we're not wanted, well, you know, hang you. Uh, we'll just whip you and whip you and whip you and demand more and more and more of you and not enter into the social compact. We need citizens engaged everywhere, particularly, as I mentioned, in subsidiarity terms, making their own communities work. Yeah. And I used the old um, Abraham Kuyper. Uh, he was a Prime Minister of, of Holland about 130 years ago, extraordinary thinker. But he said, human beings are like plants and we're all about them being cultivated and doing well and producing great flowers and great crops. Government is a stick there to help them do it, um, to provide the things that some plants can't do, as we all know, especially in their early years, they need some support. But the stick is never the objective. The plant is. And the stick can help or hinder. But the thing is, we want healthy plants. We want healthy citizens, engaged, flourishing. Well, uh, hopefully that's what ARC has achieved. John Anderson, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. For and congratulations on a magnificent conference. Thanks Thank so you. much. All right, well, that's all from, uh, from my interview with John Anderson. I'll still be in London next week. Hopefully it won't be as dramatic as things are shaping up to be, but we will be here next week to see what happens on Armistice Day in Westminster. Uh, the signs are at the moment that uh, things could get a bit gnarly. So tune in next week and find out what happened. Uh, meanwhile, thanks for watching.